2008. So if if I start another business, I'll give you a call. We'll short everything and we'll both make a ton of money. Uh, Oh, geez. (laughs) You got excellent timing for starting. That's that's great. So uh, you made the the brand transition. Um, What was the brand transition like? How costly was that? Uh, it was relatively straightforward. Uh, I was still a, a pretty small shop at the time. So transitioning the brand wasn't too too big a challenge. And it was much more in line with uh, a fit for the audience I was already in front of. And so it was a pretty natural transition when it happened. Okay. Um, what's that audience look like? Uh, our audience is founders, uh, owners, business leaders of uh, uh, both in the business world and in the nonprofit world. Surprisingly, it's about 60-40 business to nonprofit. Uh, and, and what unites both of those is that they are, are folks who are primarily very impact oriented and wanting to scale to achieve impact. We really don't have a whole lot of folks that are like scaling, flipping, private equity, that whole nine yards. It's proximate to what we do. But by and large, we've got owners and, and, and leaders, and we call them most senior executives, that they've got a vision for their organization. Uh, and, and they cannot do anything other than scale to make that happen. That's our right. audience. Absolutely. So on the NPO, what's the, what's the secret to attracting the nonprofits and helping them understand that you're not a money hungry giant? Yeah, I think it sticks to you. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. What's up and welcome in to Vision Pros Live. My name is Jackson Callum, host of the show, founder and CEO of First Class Business, I'm excited to have Scott Ritzheimer on board. I look up to him tremendously. Um, he does very similar things to what we do um, for his business, as well as coaching others to do the same. So uh, he's got a great podcast, by the way. Make sure to check that out. He's also got some great assessments built into what he does. So you're going to get a ton of value in the show as well as after the show. Before we dive into bringing Scott on stage, though, uh, I also want to give credit to some of the sponsors who help us build out what we're building here at the show cold click and tap mental um i'll keep it fairly short you can go back to the last episode to look at a little bit of a longer introduction but we use cold click for our linkedin automation and what that does is it gets our brand distributed in front of more like-minded people and then we don't have to have forced conversations with people about why we're relevant to them when you have more of an audience coming to you based on their needs and realizing hey i kind of want to connect with this person you're in a really good position to pick and choose who you want to work with Versus so many companies out there that I see trying to force case studies down people's throats when they don't, they aren't asking for it. They don't want it. Um, I love uh, Art Hoffman as a friend as well. He runs the company and they pay really close attention to the algorithms as well to make sure that we're compliant as we get in front of many, as many people as possible. Uh, Tap Mental um, came onto the show. His name's Dave Goodall, who runs that. And uh, Dave became a client of ours and he helps in the blue collar business space. He helps entrepreneurs that are in general contracting, construction. He has an incredibly impressive past in IT development as well. And he has this incredible brain where he can really think through all the CTO, CFO, 
COO and CMO capabilities, and he's got the diplomacy skills of a CEO as well. Uh, I recommend checking out his case studies if you're in that space, seeing what he's up to. Um, we, we did some sessions together to work on my mindset um, and some of my past traumas as well. Um, it's fun as I get to explore these clients I work with. I also get to learn about their businesses and what they do. And he was able to hit some really important keys to help me unlock some things about my communication with team members and with prospects, et cetera. Um, and that was just scratching the surface. But I recommend diving into some of his case studies and some of the videos that he has. Um, again, if you're in that space, I highly recommend checking out what Dave is up to. I hope that's a resource to at least one of you that's listening in. Lastly, before we dive into Scott's um, business scale architects, we're going to talk about the water project. The water project is near and dear to my heart um, because water is so far from so many people. Um, it's not. It's probably near and dear to their hearts, hearts as well, but they don't have access to it. And I just can't imagine what it would be like to have my own children um, living in a society where they have access to water that's three, four or five miles away from their home. They have to leave school to go get it. And it's still risky water, water that could end up killing the family. Um, and I don't mean to take everything down to a, you know, a real negative thought process. Um, I don't feel that way. I feel like we have an opportunity, those who are listening in to make a difference, make this impact, um, you know, to perhaps save a life um, by giving a dollar. And um, if you know of a better cause that you would like to support, don't hesitate to drop that in the comments either. I'm constantly on the lookout, trying to become more aware of how can we help the 8 billion people in this world. That photo right there um, says a lot of this. You know, I, I, can you imagine what if your kids were, were celebrating like they were at Disneyland because they had access to clean drinking water? Um, very cool opportunity to help out. You get to see the impact of what you do. And uh, again, I hope we all do our best to help with situations like that in the world. So without further ado, um, let's fill your glass in terms of entrepreneurship, being a founder, conquering the journey along the way. Scott, is he has this laser capability of helping people get right to the point of what they need. And we're going to put that on full display um, in this interview. So Scott, now that the pressure's on as high as possible, thanks for being on Vision Pros Live. Uh, Jackson, absolute pleasure to be here. been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Absolutely, man. Well, let's let's hear again. You, you define this a little bit in the beginning. By the way, those who wanted me to get Scott to reveal his best kept secret for NPOs, I wasn't going to do that to him. That's his business model. So you can dive into that later if you want to, Scott. But just for everybody's sake, no, I don't. I don't plan on on diving into that today unless you want to. So um, who should be who should be listening, Scott? Why do you feel they should be listening to you? What does your background um, contribute to to those who? You know, where are people at? Where are they stuck at? Where are they going to? Yeah. So folks should be tuning in now or folks that are on that, that founder's journey, that, that business owner's journey. And, and the reason for that is it's a lot like, you know, we hear leadership all the time. You know, there, there are a, a million and two books on leadership and there's a lot of really good ones. There's some bad ones, but there's plenty of information on leadership. Uh, but the, the leadership journey of a founder is different than any other leadership journey for one very specific reason. Any other leadership journey you take part in, there are clear milestones to, to, de to demarcate the way. So for example, let's take the leadership journey of your typical employee. Wonderful employee crushes it on the front line and they're like, hey, you've got potential. We see leadership in you. You can be a manager. Now your front line lead, you're leading a team of five people. And that's a hard transition to make for some folks, you know, like the, the better they are at doing, the harder it is to become a manager and you have to do through others. And, but it makes sense because it comes with a new title. 
right? We understand that the game has changed and that we have to adapt as leaders. Challenge is, uh, though, for founders, there are no milestones that demarcate the way. There's no specific event that happens that says you have moved from being a startup entrepreneur to being a manager. When does that happen, right? Or or <laughs> to, to move from being a, a, a manager to being a leader. Here's what it boils down to. For, for founders, what do they always write on their business card? The very first business card, even before the business is, is, has started. Founder and CEO, right? We are CEO from day one. The truth of it is you don't actually start acting like a CEO. Maybe even better, you, don't, you shouldn't start acting like a CEO until stage five. There are four mm. distinct transitions that happen on the journey before you've ever gotten a single change in your title. And so because of that, why founders need to listen is because the, there's, the game has changed around them. It's not the same game that you played. It doesn't, it's not governed by the same rules. Uh, you don't achieve success the same way. The strategies are not the same. Even if you're in the exact same industry you were in three years ago, just by virtue of being successful three years, you have changed the game around you. This is likely to turn into a live therapy session where I start crying, um, as I feel like you're speaking straight to me a little bit, which is good. Um, you know, we we had a strategy session uh, the other day, um, Scott and I, where he was evaluating my business and where I'm at. So some some of what he's talking about, um, it it feels very pointed, but that's simply because. I, I understand the struggle of going through this process super well. Uh, I love the insight you made too about, um, you know, you're not necessarily called to be the CEO as a founder. You've got this very, very strong clarity about these five stages. We're going to come back to that. I just wanted to, to plant the seed for anybody listening that I, I know what this is like too. Um, you know, and Scott's, Scott's preaching something that I don't hear in the market and I don't necessarily have developed on my end. Um, so it's what makes me super intrigued with what he does. So Scott, what's your vision for those that you serve on the other end of this? What, what, are, we, what are we looking forward to overcoming and then moving towards as we yeah, conquer absolutely. the journey? So I've helped start around 20,000 organizations, helped scale a lot of them. And one of the things that I've found is it's tough, right? Like th this is a difficult <laughs> journey. Uh, I did it myself. Uh, I, it was accidental at first. Uh, I, I, I somewhat accidentally ended up co-founding a business uh, back in, in 2008. Uh, we scaled it up to a $10 million business before I sold it. And, and, and the, the, the thing that I want is I don't want people to have to struggle as much as I did for as long as I did for, you know, for no reason at all, right? Like there, there isn't, we, it's hard, but you don't have to struggle and you definitely don't have to get stuck. And so even though I'm a relatively young guy, uh, I had a lot of success relatively early on, there were still protracted seasons in my life where I just felt stuck. I felt isolated. Uh, and, and, and it's, I found now, I thought that was just part of the deal. Right. I thought, you know, to be at the top is to be alone or, you know, it's you, it's it's hard work, et cetera. It's, it's it's nonsense. You don't have to ever get stuck. You should always know where you are. You should always know what you have to do to move forward. It may be hard. Right. But you can do it. And what I found and this is why I love founders so much is that as the moment that they know what to do, there is no force uh, uh, in this world that will stop them from that, right? Like, True. <laughs> it's, it, and it's like, you will see people do unbelievable things 
and yet they're stuck all the time. Why is that? And it's because we don't have a way of knowing how, how we need to adapt and evolve over time. Uh, and so if I can just start to, to create clarity, if I can give people the map that already exists, right, uh, and, and then free them up to do the one or two things at any given point in time that they need to do, the, the amount of success that they can achieve in the, the short period of time that's necessary uh, is it's what drives me day in and day out. Excellent. <clears throat> I want to circle back. Um, you talked about the transition of titles and roles as leaders, again, not something I had thought through, um, but a reality that founders do face. Um, you know, it's going to be really hard for those who love recognition, um, right, as a form of compensation, uh, right? You, you've founded a business, you hope your spouse, um, you know, is, is excited about it. If they are excited about it, awesome. Then you find out your CEO, you get your little business card printed where you say your president, CEO, principal, whatever, whatever title you choose, you know, in the beginning, um, there's no clapping that occurs, right? Nobody cares, right? You know, your, your spouse wants to know how much money did you make today? Um, you know, probably like, it's a good question to ask, uh, those around you, same thing, you know, your parents, your siblings, you're still just Jackson when you found that company, it never really changes. There's, there's not, you're not going to get the recognition. You know, it, it's not going to happen. And that can be such a, a disruptive, challenging thing to face, not only for the founder, but like we're talking about, like I'm talking about the, the ones who are supposed to be supportive, they can wear out very fast with that reality. If you don't mind, we're going to derail a little bit. Um, what can a founder do to responsibly go through that transition? What can they do to support and help their family, friends understand why they're doing the crazy thing they're doing? Yeah, I'm going to give you a, a slightly disappointing question, and that's not your job, uh, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, so here's, here's the problem, is that we take entrepreneurial advice from non-entrepreneurs. Right. That, that, that's fundamentally what's going on. It, you can't expect everyone in your life to get it. In, in fact, what you're doing is crazy. Right. I mean, you take the entrepreneurial journey, how it starts. You got someone who's making decent money, usually good money somewhere. Uh, and they give that up to go do something that's got an 80 percent chance of failure and they make zero dollars doing it. Right. Like that's nuts. <laughs> if your family loves you, they should tell you to stop. Right. Like that's it's them doing their job. And, and, and so I don't want to paint them in a bad light. They right. love you. They want what's best for you. And starting a business is not what's best for you, right? If we're just playing a numbers game, that's a bad idea. So you mm. should expect, like if your family loves you and they, they, they try to discourage you from doing it, they are not trying to tear you down. They're trying to protect you. They that's may right. not be right, but they are trying to protect you. And so you can't change them. You can't make you being okay uh, uh, requisite on them changing. So what do we do? Because we have to have support. It is a tough, mm -hmm. especially those early days. There's two things that we have to do from a support perspective. One is that delay getting into the game as long as you can. So yeah. many people skip this. It's the first part uh, of the process. The entrepreneurial journey starts before you become an entrepreneur. And it's what I call the dissatisfied employee, right? It's this stage where you're still working for somebody else, but you've got a vision, a desire, and a passion to start your own, your own business or nonprofit. And we are, we're so vision oriented as a group founders that we, as soon as we get the vision, we go. 
And I, I'm not necessarily trying to discourage someone from doing that. I'm just offering what lessons can you learn before everything is on the line, right? The beautiful thing about being and staying in that stage as uncomfortable and angst ridden as it is, is that uh, by staying there, you are learning the lessons on someone else's dime. Right. Someone else is covering payroll. Once you jump in and you got to even make your own payroll, right? And pay yourself, let alone somebody else. It The game gets real, real fast. So the very first one is delay starting as long as you possibly can. Uh, it maybe means working it as a side hustle. Maybe it means getting another job that's closer to the industry you want to work in. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was uh, a successful, successful in the wine business. He wanted to get into media. He went and volunteered for free at media companies so that he could learn the game. Hmm. And, and he had built a multi- I'm glad you shared that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he had built a multi-million dollar business, wine business on social media. Like the guy knew what he was talking about, but he recognized that he was getting into a different game. And so he became a student of the game. Hmm. And so uh, as much as it's all rah-rah and, and let's go and let's get started. And there is a point where you can wait too long. That's not the problem for most founders. The problem for most yeah. founders in the beginning is that they start too soon. So that's support mm -hmm. number one is just learn the lessons on someone else's dime. Support right. number two is you got to get around other entrepreneurs. Uh, they can be further in the journey. That's wonderful. They can be at the same stage in the journey. That's wonderful. They could be at, at stage one still uh, and earlier in, in the journey. But you've got to get around people who, who have the same kind of vision and passion that you do. Now, they won't have vision and passion for the same things as you do. But yeah. you've got to get around like-minded people, people who understand the risk. They understand the fact, and most people don't get this, you actually need some risk to do your best work, right? You cannot expect your spouse to carry that same level of risk as you can. But if you can find comrades, right? If you can find people who will walk the road with you, they don't even have to have the answers. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just being there for each other. And so the, the more supported you can be with your community of other founders, other entrepreneurs, other leaders, the less demand there is that you put on your family to fill that need. And it's not their responsibility in the first place. It's a heavy, it's a heavy load to bear. Um, you know, and it's, it's amazing to me, the, the spouses that are capable uh, of doing that. Um, but it's also, uh, there's a reverence, um, to be said about, yes, we, we shouldn't be putting that weight, um, on our, our family members. Um, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, um, you know, following the principle of understanding the value of work ethic, Robert Kiyosaki is who I learned that from and rich dad, poor dad, where he talks about, don't become a slave to money. Um, you know, work for the sake of the value of work itself. And he did the same thing. He went and he found somebody to mentor under, um, that he was willing to go to a project, for that person, I'm sure that person turned him down. He would have found the next person or the next person. Um, you know, I, I jumped in a little bit too early, probably, but I also jumped in as a originally as a sales rep, then as a junior co-founder. Um, and like you said, I was working on somebody else's dime to master certain skills. I remember my first hire. I was going to go ask Adam to invest in this LinkedIn guy for me. And I realized at the last minute, and he would have chewed me out so bad because I was about to ask him to invest in it. And I was so scared and nervous about the whole entrepreneurship thing that I had this guy who was going to work for me for one hour per week at $3.33 an hour. And I almost went and asked for him to, to pay for that for me. And I stopped myself last minute, realized 
why don't I just do it? I don't even need to tell Adam um, that I'm doing this. It's kind of my decision. It's my account anyway. I feel like a big man. I went and spent my $3 um, when I was a 24-year-old or whatever. Um, but the, the the point being, I'm, I'm so glad I had that opportunity, like you talk about, to incubate, to watch how he interacted with proposals for companies like QL and Golf Resort and the Masters Tournament in Augusta. Like, I watched him and how he prepared for the Baylor Angel Network um, and helped him prepare the slides and be behind the scenes on that. And all of those things that I got to do behind the scenes helped me prepare myself for running my company that I have now. And there's still so much I need to learn about about building companies, even after all the opportunities. Let's, sh let's shift gears a lot, though, Scott. I want to dive into your personal vision a little bit. So beyond the clients, beyond what you're doing for others, what do you see for yourself over the next five or 500 years or five months, whatever your vision horizon looks like? What, I want to restore the nobility of work. Uh, you've mentioned this earlier. It's work for work's sake. I, I think you know, from my generation on, I'm technically a millennial, but from millennials on, we have a, 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 a downright awful view of work, right? It is a disease to rid ourselves of, and I, it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, and, and, and so we got to stop and look, why is that? Why is it that way? And uh, a, a lot of it's culture and things like that. But organizationally, the reason why is a lot of us are not doing the work that we need to do as leaders to get our companies and nonprofits to a state of health that makes work noble, right? That, that makes work worthy. We ask our people to do so much stupid stuff. No wonder they're frustrated by it, right? We ask them to sit through so much bureaucracy or chaos that's just, it's an, it's almost entirely av avoidable. And so mm -hmm. the vast majority of what I do is with founders. The vast majority of, of, of how we implement is through their leadership teams. But the driving force behind that is I want to create a, a, a world. I want to create an environment where folks can enjoy going to work, where they go to work and their work matters, not just in the sense of like it's all nonprofit mission oriented, but it matters because it actually works. Right. We're not. Uh, there was a story. Um, uh, and I don't know if it's true or not of uh, a, a team of, uh, of folks in the army that they, they didn't really have much to do. And so the their boss wanted to keep them busy. And so he had them go out and dig holes. Uh, and they did this for like three weeks and no one had any idea why they did it. And uh, and it was I mean, it's miserable, backbreaking work. And one of the guys goes missing in the middle of the night uh, around the third week and they can't find him anywhere. They find him out at these holes and he's filling them back in because he, he, he actually chose to do more work because of the sense of accomplishment that it would, it would bring. Right. So the, there's, there's this point of, we have to have meaning behind the work that we, we need. We have to have mission and, and vision. Yes. But we also have to have progress. And, and movement toward those goals. And so for the, the vast majority of, of, of companies that I work with, they are stuck in a suboptimal stage. I mean, much like founders get, get stuck, uh, the, their organizations get stuck as well. And when we get stuck in that suboptimal stage, yes, it's hard for founders. Uh, yes, it's hard for leaders. It's downright miserable for the people inside of these organizations. Hmm. As a lot of a lot of powerful truth to that. I think a lot of um, military personnel have the um, both the adversity um, as well as the the strength building opportunity to go through that in a way most of us can't comprehend. Where they're they're stuck waiting around for something to happen, you know, or ho holding the the front line um, as depicted in like a, 
a great movie like uh, Band of Brothers um, for anybody who's who's seen that. If you haven't, it's pretty pretty hard thing to take in. Um, but you you know if you're in that foxhole um, and stuck with a lot of idle time, um, then it can play with your mind. Um, you know if you don't if you don't exercise great control over um, you know self mastery um, and awareness and find those purposes. So thank you for sharing that, Scott. Um, what's your worst business experience ever to dive even a little bit darker. Um, you know, what, what about you? What's, what's been just a difficult experience you've had to go through in this process? There's been, there's been plenty of them. Um, I, I think one of the things that a lot of folks don't quite understand is that a, a partnership is every bit as challenging as a marriage is, right? It's every bit as rewarding as well, but second to marriage, a 50, 50 partnership is one of the hardest relationships you can ever deal with. And, uh, and, and I was in a, a business partnership with my co-founder and, um, you know, every single one of those really difficult times had to do with the, that relationship. Right. And it's just, you take two hard charging guys, uh, going after something we, we loved each other, uh, you know, to, to the end of the world. And that love was tested again and again and again. And so uh, that, and, and really the kind of theme on a couple of these is, you know, there were times I had to fire a couple of my best friends. Uh, and, and so when work, uh, Ouch. when, when work not only is hard from a business decision standpoint, but also from a relational decision, those are, are, and have always been the hardest points, uh, for me in, in my walk as a leader and a founder. I agree. Um, any of you who have, you know, think of your favorite team ever, um, you know, or, your favorite coworker, your favorite person and your best friend in school, et cetera, your, your spouse, as Scott's talking about, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's that what's one of the same. You're now dedicating, you found somebody who finally believes so much in what you believe in and want to accomplish that they've dedicated their lives to, to playing your game with you at your speed, um, you know, and, and moving on that. And when it doesn't work out, you know, or it has to end, um, or it just doesn't, or they just disappear. It is one of the most gut-wrenching, um, you know, knee-jerking, whiplash experiences that that you can go through. Um, I have a former business partner. I don't I don't name his name, but when we had our final conversation of um, you know business, um, I said, "Listen, man, there's this uh, highway in 16, uh, called 1604. It goes around San Antonio. It's a giant loop." And I said, "Dude, you're you're headed east on 1604, and it's awesome, um, you know. But I'm I'm headed west." I was like, we are so backwards and how we do things. And I hope to God that we come, we end up in the exact same destination um, in, in heaven, but I want nothing to do with you um, in this life and the way that you do things. Um, and it was a very obviously hard thing for, for him to take. Um, yeah. One of his favorite quotes was uh, disturbing. Um, it was uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, and I, I, I have to look over my shoulder nowadays, um, you know, because of that reality. Um, but it's, you know, that was somebody who was, I mean, we were in, you know, suits. I don't know if you've seen that show, Mike and Harvey, like that, that, that was us. Um, you know, we, that, that was, uh, our dynamic was perfect, but we were so opposites. And so our brotherhood had to pause for life um, because of the way that we both chose to do things. And, if you as a founder, you as a visionary, you know, are, are facing that reality or having to go through that, um, you're definitely not alone um, on that reality. And uh, let's let's dive all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, Scott. What's your best experience and business been? What does that look like? Or one of them? You probably have. 
quite a few based on the books behind you. Yeah, I struggle with best and worst because it's it's all the little thousand things. Yeah, it's the the thousand little things, and um, some of some of the best uh, have been. It's always been someone else's success. Uh, that that's definitely been true. Is it, it has not been my own successes. So, I remember about two years after I had transitioned uh, from you know owner and and CEO of my company and. You know, I worked hard ahead of time to get the leadership team up to where they would thrive without me. That's a hard thing to do, right? You talk about ego and you know, that, that's going to push the buttons. And I remember, you know, seeing them grow the next year and grow again the next year and grow again the next year. And just hearing about that success uh, was was so encouraging to me. I mean, the one thing I wanted to do for really about the last half of my time there was to make sure that when it was time to leave, I left well. Uh, and, and now afterwards, I would say, uh, you know, the previous business was more financially rewarding. You know, it was a multi-million dollar business, but, uh, the little emails I get from clients today of just like, oh, this happened, you know, change, you know, there's, there's just these thousand little wins and getting to see that firsthand. Uh, that's, that's the gold for me. I love that. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to steal your thunder on that one. Um, we're we're going to keep going. Um, so let's talk about, before we talk about the evolution of the founders um, and, and what that looks like, um, breaking that down even further, one more powerful lesson. What's another powerful lesson that other visionaries can learn from your experience? Yeah, that there is a map. I, I mean, I, I went for a very long time and I had lots of different uh, experiences that affirmed that there was no map for success for what we did. Uh, we, we mostly created an industry. Uh, there, it wasn't like we were part of an industry. And for a long time, that served us really well, right? The, the just, hey, we're going to go out and figure it out. We're pioneers. Mm -hmm. that, that served us really well for a while until it didn't. And, uh, and I, I remember going out and it's like, once, if you think that there's no map, if you think that, you know, that you're the one who's got to figure out the next step, right? You're the pioneer who's going to do it. What do you do when you can't figure it out? Right. And it's like your world will come crashing yeah. down very, very quickly. And so the, the reality of it is, is yes, you are on a, a journey that is every bit unique as you are, but you are also walking along the footsteps of thousands of other people. And so uh, one, if you can recognize, hey, there's a map to this. Someone else knows what's ahead of me and it's going to look a little different for me, but the pattern is the same. It does two things. One, it, it, it creates this moment. Uh, I tell the story. I was, you remember malls? I think we're both old enough to remember malls. <laughs> uh -uh. Uh, I was kidding. I was in a mall. And I wanted to go in Foot Locker and look at a pair of Nikes or something like that. And so my mom didn't want to go to, to Foot Locker. I was- Got to get the shocks, old. the Nike shocks. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Or the pumps. It might've been the pumps. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I want to go in. So she's like, okay, meet me at JCPenney. And so I'm like, okay, great. I'm not paying any attention to what anything is. I just want to go in the Foot Locker. And so I come out of Foot Locker after a while and I look around, I'm in this giant mall and I have no idea where I'm going to go, right? I, I know I got to get to JCPenney. I, I just, I don't even, like, I didn't even know where I was. And so you also remember in malls, they had those triangle, like kind of pylons by half of the entrances. I don't know why it wasn't in front of all the entrances, but they had a big map on one side. And what's the little right. sticker on the map say? 
you are here. That's exactly right. You are here. And I remember the relief that I had, even as a you know six, seven, eight-year-old, just from knowing where I was. Because once I knew where I was, then I could start to look around for where JCPenney was, and then I could map the, the, the route in between. And so when you feel like you're pioneering out and there is no map, it's impossible for you to know where you are right? You don't get to have a you are here moment. And and you don't get the relief that comes from that. You don't get the clarity that comes from that. And and as clear as you are about your vision, if you don't know where you are, how are you ever going to map the, the process of getting to that destination? So I would say there is a map. There's a couple of them, actually. And the very best thing you can do is to understand where you are right now. Yeah. Your, your Boy Scouts are going to come in and argue with you on this, by the way. Um, and that's OK. I mean, if we get past the semantics game, you know, they're they're screaming right now. Scott, you need a compass. Um, you know, you don't need a map. Uh, you know, and, and we could open that argument. But at the end of the day, the map, the compass, the stars, there are resources, there are assets. You're not alone. You don't have to feel lost. You can choose. To be lost, you can choose to try to think of the only one with that problem. Um, but knowing that you have a series of, of resources and assets to move out of your own way is one of the most important things yeah. that, a, that a visionary could probably dive into. So let's uh, let's explore that from the evolution standpoint of founders. Scott, the time is yours. Um, if you have a question that I should be asking, what's that question? What's, what's the question people should be asking you? Yeah, I think the question would be like, why does it matter, right? We've kind of talked about this a little bit and and, and here's here, super practical. Here's why it matters. Uh, if you're feeling stuck, if you feel like you're spinning your wheels, if you feel like you're doing a lot of the same things, but not getting the same results anymore, or maybe even worse, you're getting the same results, uh, then you know, the question I have is like, why, how's that working for you, right? It, something has changed or something has to change to move forward. And, and we all kind of get that. We all understand that here. But the problem with that sentiment is it's only like, it's like saying there is an equation. Okay, great. What's the equation, right? So <laughs> right. how do you do? So practically what it looks like is there's not a person listening to this who is not wasting probably at least 10 hours this week on stuff that they do not actually need to do. Right. I agree with uh, like that. Not, not one. All, all of us. Uh, and, and again, we can kind of, okay, I got that here. I'm wasting time. Uh, we, we, we've both done some time in marketing. So we can say like 50% of marketing works. We just don't know which 50% it is, right? right? Like there's something about what you're doing that's creating success. Uh, but what is it now? And here's what makes it even trickier is the thing that created success in the past. Even if you can prove this is specifically what created success for me. There's a great chance that if you did that and you did it well enough and you did it long enough, it's not going to create success anymore. And you talked about ego. Let's, let's tie all this together. Let's do it. So, you know, you're, we, we want folks to see us make the diving catch, right? Yeah. Here's the twist. If you've been doing this long enough, you're stage three, stage four of the process, uh, it, you've actually moved off. You should have moved off the field by now. You should be the coach on the sideline. That's the role that you play. We're not even talking CEO yet. We're just talking about a leadership role of being a coach on the sideline. And so what do you think is going to happen if like, let's say it's all on the lines, the, the la end of the game championships on the line, we got to make the, we got to make it to the end zone. And they throw the ball and you see it happening and you take off down the sideline and you go make the diving catch as the coach. What's going to happen? 
Dude, right? That love. same diving catch that you were celebrated for in the past, if you still pride yourself on how high you can jump or how good your hands are or how fast you can run, not only are you not going to win, you're going to become an embarrassment to yourself, to your team. You're going to frustrate your best people and they're going to leave. And so the, the exact thing that creates success at one stage can become a, the exact thing that prevents success in another stage. And we need to understand what those are if we're going to succeed as founders. I loved reading that in your book. I absolutely love it. It reminded me of reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The 4-Hour Workweek, and this book, The Effective Executive. Um, the, the caliber of the content was huge. I mean, I have a lot of guests and you do too, right? The applications that we get, the amount of lead magnets and stuff we go through to filter and make sure our audience is served well. Yet here I found myself saying, dang it, I have to get this book in. Like I, I just had to, as I read page by page, it wasn't because I needed to be prepared for this. It was because the content was so good. And that story was so compelling and new to me that I was like, whoa, this is huge. And like you talked about, that coach going out in the field doing that, the the flags would fly, right? Foul. Um, the fans would be disappointed. You know, everybody, it would be laughable, but it would be miserable. And as coaches, we, so I've been playing with that concept with other entrepreneurs ever since reading that in your book, um, because it's become foundational to, to one area of how I look at business now. And I actually talked about Pete Sena. Um, and if you haven't met, I look forward to you guys having each other on each other's shows as well. Um, he talked about how there's another stage of foundership and you've also alluded to it. We'll see what we can cover in five minutes. Um, but he said, Jackson, there's a, there's a time though. And you know, it's not a, it's not a defined sport where you do have to get back in the game. Um, you know, depending on the size of your operations, depending on what you're doing, we talked about Bill Russell and how he was a player coach, you know, before the NBA became as big as it did. Um, and so I was like, fair, good point. Awesome. But it's, it's, again, it's a refinement of the map. It's the decide, it's the decide you saying it's knowing that I'm moving in the right direction and I have full control to take this exit. If I want to enjoy this little detour and get back on knowing that's going to help me heal or that's going to help me prepare, help me move. Um, but I just, I can't stress enough. Anybody who's listening right now, you got to get Scott's book. Um, and, and read this thing, it will completely open your paradigm to a more healthy perspective of what it's like to be a founder. And I, I thank you for living your life in a way where you've created that much clarity at, at such a young age. Um, so feel free to you can just dive in. What, what, where should we go next, Scott? Yeah. So, you know, one of the times, like in a, a format like this, it's tough to get through all seven stages. So we're not going to like, like just destroy everyone's mind for a second. The book's there for that. It's great. Here's the, here's the one thing though, that's easy to miss in the book. Uh, but I think it's actually really, really important. One of the difficulties, whenever you learn that there is a map and you start to see the destination really clearly, and you see the gap between where you are and where you want to go really clearly, you know, it, it, it actually gets a little harder. Uh, it, it, it gets harder to, to deal with the, those gaps. And, and what that can translate to, especially for founders, is I've got to get there. When I get there, I'll be okay. I'll be happy when, right? I'll, I will have arrived when. I'll be satisfied when. We'll be a success when. And it's always something out into the future. And, and, and the, the, 
the catastrophe of that, to, to be blunt, is yeah, we miss be. almost all the journey ahead of. I, I just had someone on my guest. Her name's Jen Drummond. Look her up. Uh, anyone listening, go find Jen Drummond. She is unreal. She climbed Mount Everest as a training run for another mountain. Let's just put it that way. She, I asked her, how much time did you spend training? And she said, I, at the top of Everest, I realized I only got to be there for 10 minutes because the weather was changing and I had to get off. But that 10 minutes took me 1,026 hours to train for. And she said, if I did it just for the summit, I would have been the most miserable person alive. But because I enjoyed, that's her, I, because I enjoyed the journey, that's what made it all worth it. And so for us as founders, you know, it's this natural progression that we go through. But once we start to really get clear on what the next level actually is, we can start putting everything into getting to that level. And again, the tragedy of that is that we miss the joy that's available at this stage. And so one of the yes. things in the book goes to it's pretty much the end of each chapter. But I pause for a moment before we move on to what's the next level and, and just go through what is the joy that's available to you right now in this stage? Because there's something unique about every single stages, no matter where you are, there's seven different stages, no matter what stage you're in, there is a joy that is most poignantly felt in just that one stage. And if you're so busy trying to get to the next stage, you'll miss out on the joy of the stage that you're in. And the question I have for you is like, is it worth it? Well said. I have to give that a moment of silence because figuring out is it worth it is not an immediate response thing. You know, you got to meditate and walk on that to, to really know, you know, if, that, if that's the case, you can justify it quickly. You know, you, you can tell yourself, no, I don't want to hear that and, and dive into it, but take some time and some space to, to consider this concept, even if that means sacrificing one Netflix movie, you know, even if that means not seeing the game tonight, but catching the six minute highlight reel um, that shows you all the best parts anyway. Um, you know, there, there's lots of time we can carve out. Um, I'm grateful for Dr. Peter Drucker on that, this chapter to know thy time very much changed my own ability to, to look at that. And I, I use that on a regular, uh, almost a daily basis and to optimize what I'm up to this, uh, the journey. Um, I was very blessed, Scott, to, to have set a personal boundary for myself with my second startup. I told my co-founders, uh, when my daughter's three, I'm out, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the janitor, you know, I'll be behind the scenes, whatever you guys want, but I'm not going to be the face. I'm not going to do the hundred hour work weeks anymore. And we got to that point and had I not told myself that we would have gone 10 more, they were begging me, go 10 more years, Jackson, we got this, we can do this. It'll, you know, and I, and I told them, no, I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come up to my daughter at 13 years old and say, hi, my name's dad. What's your name? Their definition of providing wasn't wrong, but it was very different than mine in terms of what I want to do and how I want to show up. And part of that was knowing that we have such an awesome journey to enjoy. Um, and I wasn't doing that. I sacrificed those three years on purpose. But I also realized, Scott, near the pinnacle of what we were doing, where we really hit the mountaintop, we were at 36,000 recurring monthly revenues. We were, we were getting, we were scaling fast too. It was like five to 10,000 per month in addition. And we we're all taking new salaries every month. It was awesome. It was a pain for my realtor, um, but it was awesome. And 
I saw, I looked out, it was like that scene in Homeward Bound where the dogs get over the mountaintop and all I saw was mountain ranges. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just a first. We have to go through all, and I said, no, you know what? I'm going to set up shop on the other side of this mountain. I'm going to be very happy here. I'm going to stay right here while, while they continue on and, um, you know, build up a good life here. I didn't know years later that would prepare me for wanting to conquer the rest of the mountain ranges, but I'm so grateful. I, I had that little thought and insight. Um, and I look for people like you in my life, leaders, coaches who understand the value of the journey and understand the importance of not getting addicted to the destination. Cause I don't want to end up at the end of my founding journey, being the only one celebrating it. Yeah, it's so true. And and I think um, it, it, life is not up and to the right. It, it just isn't, right? E even if you follow a process like mine to the T, it is not up and to the right, at least experientially, right? Uh, and so when we can when we can recognize that you know there are there's waxing and waning there's ups and downs and and we can be present in the moment enjoy the ones that are with us uh and and focus on walking each day the best we can that's where joy comes from absolutely joy and i've also seen you express uh fun in the process as well you call one of your stages fun and that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm more of a nurturer. So I kind of get into like the healing and the, the, the touchy feely stuff, but we can all use more fun in our lives. And those of you who are looking for it, Scott has that as a big part of his culture and what he does. So if you want to reach out to Scott, um, reach out to him through his, his business. We showed that a little bit scale architects. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Don't hesitate to comment as well. And just ask a question. Uh, we'll make sure to get it to Scott so that he can respond to that. And Scott, how would you prefer people get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, the website's the best place. Uh, there's you know, kind of pick your own story from there. Uh, the the best resource coming off of the tail end of this conversation is that uh, that ebook. If you do it, uh, you'll see an opportunity to just chat with me directly. Uh, I'd, I'd love that. Uh, there's nothing that I enjoy more right now than uh, hanging out with people who've read the book and they're putting it into use in their their life and, and in their business. It's it's a ton of fun. So uh, start there, and and we'll see where the journey goes. I'm also going to, to be a little bit more direct about one of the other opportunities you have with Scott, and that is he's got an amazing podcast, uh, predictablesuccess.com can guide you to it. Um, and you can, you can go check out his show. Scott, what's the, the show name? Yeah. So what you're looking at there is a show uh, by my business partner, Les McEwen. It's called Scale Secrets with Predictable Success, is uh, which is fantastic. We've got another one. Yes. Called Secrets of the High Demand Coach. Uh, and and uh, I bring in all these just unbelievable business uh, and life and marketing coaches. And uh, my heart with that is I had some really bad coaches and I didn't realize until I started, I got into the coaching profession that actually lots of people have had a, a couple of bad coaches and there are just some unbelievably amazing coaches and consultants out there. And the passion and, and, and heart behind the show is to introduce you to as many of them as I can find. So check it out. You'll, you'll find some unbelievable folks. They'll challenge you. They'll encourage you and everything in between. 
I love that. They're not all created equal, just like basketball players, soccer players or everything in between. There are different levels. And that's why I recommend, um, you know, if you're if you're at that advanced stage of entrepreneurship, then I hope you're not listening to every single one of my episodes. You have big fish to fry and things to do. But when you have a specific need, what I do is I usually Google like Gary Vaynerchuk and the specific problem or Pat Flynn and specific problem. Same thing with Scott. He's now one of those resources where I'm like, oh, what is Scott talking about in relation to this? Um, it's very helpful to know who knows the map super well um, and can get me moving to the next phase fast. And uh, if you want to reach out to each of us and mastermind with us, don't hesitate to do it. But he's now one of my best kept secrets. And Scott, I appreciate you being on the show, man. Thanks for being here today. Jackson, it was an absolute privilege. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time.